that it's been a joy to be with you guys. Um, I've, I've mentioned to several of y'all just the nostalgia of being at Woodland Camp um, and the joy of uh, seeing these groups of people that uh, I ministered to and alongside for seven years and to come back and to see your campus ministers and your staff and your interns and you as students being here is just ministers to my soul um, to see how God's at work uh, in His kingdom. And so I'm excited about what God is doing in your lives and excited that you're a part of RUF and uh, thank you for letting me be here with you this weekend. We are closing out our time. You might not have ever thought you could do four talks on one verse, but um, we are coming to a conclusion in looking at this concept of sustainable justice. How, how do we continue on in doing good? And um, we've mentioned that uh, Micah, uh, throughout this verse, has been building towards justice. Uh, that he tells us we must first be receivers and that we allow God to speak that we are dependent upon Him to shape what we understand about what is good in this world. And then secondly, that we are humble. That we understand that we can't be the center of our own story. If we are to bring freedom to the world, if we are to be liberators, then we have to take the posture not at the center of that story, but tangential to the work of what Jesus is doing. And then we also looked last night at the fact that we are simply to be, in light of the gospel, people who love to love. People who are full of kindness and mercy. That we never tire of loving our friends and our neighbors, our brothers and our sisters, those who are outside of the faith currently and those who are inside of the faith. We Drink deeply from the wells of God's grace and His love for us in order to continue loving others. And then Micah leads us into the fruit of that. That fruit of that posture before God and then our heart posture towards others into the posture of actually beginning to serve. That we do justice. And... Um, we, we have to acknowledge on the front end, when you talk about justice or you specifically attach uh, the adjective social justice and you start talking to Christians about that, you generally have one or two reactions. You have people who are like, yes, all in, ready, let's fight, let's go, let's get our hands dirty. And sometimes those people, those of us with that opinion, sometimes look it, you know, scathingly at the church and go, you're not doing enough. And you assume that you need to step out of your faith in Jesus in order to pursue justice. That you're angry and you're frustrated with the slow moving mechanism and kind of the, the insular nature of the church. And you go, no, we've got we to gotta move out of that faith in order to begin to see work happening. Mike is going to call you back. From the edge of that. But there's also of us that we hear the concept of social justice and doing justice. 
And we immediately kind of swing the pendulum on the other side. We assume that social justice is a kind of liberal, progressive, worldly, political agenda. And it's something that happens in the world, and it is a, 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 it's an aspect of worldliness, and we as Christians are part of the spiritual people, and so therefore we kind of exclude ourselves from the common, uh, conversation altogether, and we look scathingly at those people if we have those opinions of like, oh yes, those people who are ad advocates and actively involved in the justice ministries of this world are a little bit worldly. They're not focused enough on Jesus. And Micah is going to call you, if that's you, to repentance also. Because what I hope you see from the entirety of our weekend together, but specifically from today, is that the call to do justice is the call of the gospel. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not just for my private ramifications, my, my soul enterprise, but it is also for the social good. That as I am rooted in the justice of God, if you love theology and you love big words like justification, that's a beautiful Bible word, you should know it, you should uh, love it, you should celebrate it, you should memorize verses on it, that God is just and justifier. And as a fruit of that good news, he calls us to be instruments of justice in the world. Micah is going to tie together the gospel that we have been liberated from our sin in order to be liberators in the world. Let me read for you Micah 6, 1 to 8. And I want you to pick up on this. The first three verses, I'll just tell you, the first three verses um, are God's indictment against the people for not doing justice. And then he reminds them of the gospel in verses six, uh, verses four and five. And then he comes up with kind of some hypothetical uh, answers to the injustice, the problem of injustice in six and seven. But those are empty and vain hopes. And then he comes to Micah six, eight, which we've been looking at as the answer of the fruit of how we are living out our faith in Jesus. So listen here. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have, you how have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And I redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised. And Abalam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened in Shittim in, uh, to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. 
What shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with, with calves, a, a year old maybe? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with ten thousand, ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would sow into our hearts the depths of your grace that we would abide in You. And as we abide in the lavish love and grace of the Gospel, that You would drive us into the lives of the hurting, the oppressed, the weak, and the voiceless. May Your people do justice because they have been freed from the house of slavery that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so we are free to serve lavishly and lovingly with great kindness and mercy. Lord, we thank You and we pray this in our Liberator's name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What I want you to see is that the call for justice, to do justice, is linked with the Gospel. Look up there at verse 4 there, and even verse 5, although those are a little bit more obscure references um, to how God has liberated and provided for His people. But He reminds His people, He's got this indictment against them they've been doing wrong. We'll look a little bit more at what they've been doing wrong in a moment. But He says, you shouldn't be acting like this. You shouldn't be greedy. You shouldn't be oppressors. Why? Because I have liberated you. I have brought you out of your bondage that you might freely serve others. He is tying the gospel on a personal level to the gospel implications on a corporate and social level. God never separates our individual spirituality from our social good. They go together in the economy of redemption. And so he's going to build his case here. But just so you understand, this is not just in Micah, right? This isn't just some obscure, okay, he's a minor prophet. We, you know, I didn't even know where this book was before we started talking about this stuff all weekend. Um, you know, what, what in the world? Well, I want you to just listen for a second. I'm going to do that thing where I list off a few verses and read them to you. But I want, I'm doing this. So that intentionally kind of to bombard you to understand that this is an Old Testament and a New Testament concept that God uh, connects our purification, our liberation with our acts of justice. So listen here in Isaiah one. As God describes his people, he says this. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. 
That's Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 for those of you who are taking notes. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God links our purity with our pursuit of justice. Isaiah later in Isaiah uh, 58 6 and 7, as God describes what he delights in, he says, It is not this feast that I choose, their religious feast, to loose the bonds of the wicked. This is what I choose to loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. The embodiment of grace is justice, he says. Jesus does the same thing as he quotes from Isaiah in Luke 4, 17 and 18. Jesus says the mission, his mission of salvation is this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's not an allegory. God is not simply kind of talking in spiritual terms. He is literally talking about His mission there. And He says that much as He uh, differentiates in Matthew 25, 35 to 36, the characteristics of his people versus the goats, the, the sheep who are following the shepherd and the goats who are uh, deceiving and, um, and just have woven themselves into the community of faith. And he says this, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And James says in verse in chapter 2, 14 and 17, this is the fruit of faith. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have work? Saving faith produces these works. Can that faith save him if it has no works? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace. Be warmed and be filled without giving them things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not work, have works is dead. One last one in 1 John 3, 17 and 18, talking about how love liberates. John says this, but if anyone has the worldly goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. God, throughout the entirety of the Bible, links the gospel to the grace of justice. That as we abide in the lavishness of God's love, it bears tangible fruit, practical. And so today, I want to basically look at why that is. How, why is it that the gospel connects these things? And I want to look at three things here. I want to look at, um, first, the fact that the gospel speaks to both body and soul. The second thing is that the gospel allows us to open our eyes to some ways in which we have been blinded towards injustice. And then ultimately, the gospel announces that justice is coming. So the first thing is this, that the gospel is is good news to body and to soul. Do you see what was happening here in Micah? If you go back up, God says, I have an indictment against my people. I have a, he's in court and he's accusing them of something. And, and the answer that, that, that the, you know, kind of the uh, rhetorical answer that, that uh, Micah puts forward in verses six and seven, do you see what they do? He says, okay, I know God's angry. How do we satisfy him? How do we appease this God? And they run to their spiritual performance. They go, oh, yes, okay, Um, what should I do? Well, I can bow myself before God. Um, Maybe I'll bring a burnt offering. Uh, A a calf? Uh, A year old. Oh, he loves calves of years old. Right? Um, Oh, you know what? What about a thousand rams? We'll up our game here. Surely that will appease God. Oh, you know what? How about 10,000 rivers of oil? Surely God will be satisfied with our offering. Maybe even if I give him my firstborn to atone for my sin. And then the Micah mandate comes in and says, no, God has told you what is good. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. So what's he saying there? Our natural position sometimes as Christians is when we see the wrong that we've done, we try to um, put a band-aid, for those of you who are medical, a band-aid over a sucking chest wound. Right? Like, that's not the solution. Okay? You can't give somebody a peppermint when they've got cancer. And so go be on your way. And what's happening here with God's people is God's people know that they have been done, that they've done wrong. But they're blind actually to the wrong they've done. It's, it's not their religious performance that they've gotten wrong. It's the way that they've cared for the oppressed. This is what Micah goes on to say in verses 10 and 12. Uh, 10 through 12 in uh, the, the same chapter in, in chapter 6. Can I forget any longer the treasures of the wicked in the house of the wicked and the scant measures that is accursed? 
Shall I quit the man with wicked scales and bags of deceitful weights? You rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies. Your tongue is deceitful and in your mouth. They were being unjust. They weren't just being stingy. They weren't just being greedy. Greediness is injustice in the economy of grace. Micah even says it more strongly in back in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, and he says this, and listen, hopefully this harkens back to one of the things we said last night. Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Shouldn't you be doing this? But you who hate good and love evil, you tear the skin from my own people, their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Wow. Terminus. Full of religion. Full of bowing down and religious artifacts. They got crosses everywhere. Not back then. But they're full of the museum of faith. They'll bow down. They'll, they'll give offerings. They'll sacrifice religiously. But God is saying you have missed the gospel because the gospel that is my gospel is not just a gospel to the soul, but also to the body. You cannot give yourself to me by faith without the work of justice or that faith is dead. But the people of God were consumers of the people around them. They stood on their rights. And they oppress. And God is saying, man, we, we have the freedom to look at life differently. We have the freedom not to be consumers, but to truly be advocates of compassion in this world. Not of, you know, random act of kindness kind of compassion, but deep, sacrificial, gospel penetrating, lasting, sustainable justice compassion. Because we have a God who loves us with a love that is lavish and it is long-suffering and it is lasting. But God's people had missed that because they were basically dividing the body and the soul. And by the way, the gospel never divides the body and the soul. God looks at you in the body created you in the beauty and the diversity and even sometimes in the weakness of your own body and he loves your body and he loves your soul and he has created your body and he will recreate your body and soul. That the new heavens and the new earth are not people who are sitting around on clouds playing harps. None of you play the harp probably. And none of you sit around and think, I want to spend all eternity eating cream cheese on a cloud. 
Right? That, that kind of disembodied spirituality is not a biblical spirituality. God's goal is a creation regained. Body and soul. And so the reason that he tells us that he's so serious about us doing justice is because when we do the acts of justice, we are participating in the not yet reality of where we're moving as a people. Your acts of kindness, we saw what Jesus said here, don't go unnoticed and they actually are building blocks into eternity. God's people get to the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus says, come, my good and faithful servant. You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. When I was in prison, you came and you, uh, you comforted me and you visited me. And you go, what? Yes, that's what the kingdom of God is about. Those aren't just kind of abstract Social qualities for a few people who love justice. No, that is the people of God. That is the character of the people of God because it is tied to the gospel of God. That God is a God to the body and to the soul. And so it needs to, this needs to wake us up. We need to understand the spiritual implications of the gospel are never divorced from the social implications of the gospel. Do you hear that? The spiritual implications of the gospel are never unassociated, disassociated, dichotomized with the social implications of the gospel. What God is doing with you and through you in your private prayer closet should bear fruit to the community and to the whole of creation. Because God's knit together those things. And so that should open us up to recognize some of our blindnesses. That we, I think sometimes, um, as a Christian church, are blind to the injustices. That we drink from a culture that blinds us, where it puts us at the center. But one of the things that I think that we struggle with as Christians oftentimes is a kind of a subtle form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is an ancient kind of philosophy that values the mind and, and concepts over the body and the worldly things. And sometimes we import that kind of idea into our Christianity and, and that therefore we, we're willing to throw out 10,000 rams or 10,000 rivers of oil that we want to sacrifice on a spiritual level that we give to God, but we're so busy looking up to heaven, we never see the mission that God is sending us to earth. And God will not separate His care for the body and the soul. He will not separate His stewardship of the earth and His people there's also a blindness, I think, that comes from our self-righteousness. That's what these people in Micah were. They, were. they thought God was happy with them. They thought, man, God is so proud of me because I'm sacrificing all of these things. I mean, I am going over and above. And so we pick and choose what our sacrifice is. I remember vividly 
having a conversation with a young lady at Emory. And we were talking about that she was hateful to her roommate and she was sleeping with her boyfriend. And we were having a one-on-one -on -one that was uncomfortable. Um, and, um, and I remember talking to her about it and she got so mad. She flipped me off. And uh, she got so mad and she was like, I knew we were going to come here and talk about this. I wanted to tell you about the fact that I'm going on a mission trip next summer and I wanted to talk about that stuff. Excuse me? Are you, are you, did you just say that? Did you separate your discipleship in your dorm room from your mission in the world? No. Don't do that. Don't separate those two. Don't act like that you can privatize and then publicize. Those are connected in the economy of grace. And there's also a sense that some of the reasons that we're not active in, in justice in this world is that we're plain greedy. That we always have someone above us in this social ladder, in the economic ladder, and so we never assume greed is a problem. It's like a hypothetical sin. Anybody in here greedy? Yeah, I mean, you're like, oh no, I mean, there's, oh, that person's greedy. But it's, it's like nobody is greedy because there's always somebody above us. And what God is saying is, hey, you need to slow down and you need to look out and see who I'm putting in your path to be generous to, to do justice to. And don't just be consumed with crime, climbing the corporate ladder or climbing into med school or climbing into you know, the Peace Corps or wherever God is taking you and that you overlook the opportunities for justice right before you. That you consume and I think also we struggle with standing on our rights. We are a culture that has so absolutized the concept of right and what I deserve and the me generation. The, the concept of this is about me and I deserve the right to be able to do this and that and this and that. We will never, ever bear the fruit of gospel justice when we stand on our rights. Because Jesus did. Jesus was the Lord of glory. And we're told in Philippians 2 that He did not consider His glory something to be clung to. Because if Jesus had been holding on to His glory he would have never outstretched his hands. And that is true of us as well. That if we're clinging to our rights, we will never be placed into a place of sacrifice and doing justice for others. Because we will be so consumed with holding on to what we deserve, we will not be free to serve those who are undeserving. And so how does the gospel answer this question lastly? It announces that justice is coming. Listen to Micah 5, 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephraim, Epaphrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth 
from me, one who is the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall come, he will be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Micah talks about Jesus. He connects the movement of His mandate to the announcement that Jesus is coming. The Prince of Peace is coming. The One who is the just and the justifier is coming. So we can live out of that promise. We're not simply trying to make justice happen in our own strength and look back to God and go, hey, will you bless this work? No, He is leading the way in, 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 towards justice and eradicating injustice. He is the Prince of Peace and He is coming. He has come and He will come again. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for us as we reflect on the Micah mandate and as we think about doing justice is that we will see the call of justice is serious. It's not a tangent. It's not for a select few of you kind of progressive Save the world types in here. It is Jesus' agenda for all of us. We are all to be liberated because we have been liberated. But it is not simply us trying to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps or try to convince others of what good is in the world, but that we are to follow the trail that the Prince of Peace, the Liberator, is blazing. And that we live out of the strength of His grace and love. As we walk humbly. As we love kindness. And as we do justice. May we follow the Micah mandate. Because Jesus is leading us down that path. God is doing great things. May we follow Him in that. As we abide in the lavishness of His love. We receive from Him what is good. That we walk humbly, taking ourselves out of the center of the story. That we are people who truly become again people who love to love. That we might bear the fruit of justice. Body and soul ministry that God is calling us into. That God Himself, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is laying the foundations for and leading us in. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for the fact that You are just and justified. And Lord, we pray in humility that You would strengthen us for the work of justice that You are calling us to. Lord, may You give us strong hands and deep conviction and a willingness to sacrifice, not standing on our rights or clinging to what we deserve, but that we might serve those who deserve nothing, who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who are overlooked, 
who are poor, who are voiceless. Thank you, Jesus, that the gospel speaks and celebrates and values and dignifies the least of these. Lord, may we be advocates of the justice that you are bringing to this world as we benefit from the justice that we have received in the cross of Jesus Christ. Bless us, we pray, as we live out of the bounty of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.